0: about 10 minutes ago, so in case you saw a Grace Church live, don't worry, that wasn't us for real, but this is us for real. (laughs) We are so excited that you have tuned in to spend your morning with us. We know that it's weird. We are at week seven of doing this, and you know what? I am so thankful for the opportunity of technology to be able to be with you in the spiritual realm and give our God praise. So let's do just that. All right. Lord Jesus, we're here to meet with you, God. God, wherever people are tuning in, God, I pray that you would fill that place with your presence in Jesus' mighty name. God, we want to give you praise and honor because you are worthy of it all. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. And everybody says, amen.
1: Oh, Lord, my God, when I How love the universe displayed, sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! Yes, You are God. then seems my soul my Savior God to Thee yes Lord how great
0: Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness church i want to read a scripture to you this morning and it's out of psalm 145 and it says this it says i will extol you my god and king and bless your name forever and ever every day i will praise you every day i will bless you and praise your name forever and ever Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and i will declare your greatness they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness and this morning the next couple songs we're going to sing the next one in particular is called worthy of your name And last week was Easter, and we celebrated together the resurrection of our King. But that is not a one-day experience. That is an everyday experience. And our God is alive and on the throne and worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen. Well, let's continue with that spirit of thanksgiving, thankful for what God has done. In Jesus' name, God, we worship you. Come on, church. Let's do this together. Sing Rumors
1: of the Son of Man Redeemer My anchor My saving grace Come on are my For change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed me
0: yet Come on, let's sing that again Let it sink down deep
1: Walking around these
0: walls
1: I thought. By have my heart You've never failed me, and you won't stop failing me now. You've never failed me, Lord, and you won't stop failing us
0: now, God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that you will never fail us. God, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, that we can count on you. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much, God, that our solid rock is not built in this world, but our solid rock is built in eternity, in our Father in heaven. So God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence in this place. God, I pray for my friends and family today, wherever they are, God, that you would fill them with joy and you would fill them with your peace. In your mighty name we pray, amen.
2: morning online i'm stephanie and this is nick every week we take time in our service to continue in our worship through giving because of your generosity grace church has been able to supply meals to families in our community one of the most important things we all need to remember during this time of uncertainty is that god is our provider and that he is faithful so i pray that whatever the lord puts on your heart to give that you would be faithful and obedient to that. Can we pray? God, you are so good, and you are faithful in all things, Lord. You are our provider, and you continue, Lord God, to bless our families and to bless our church. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to supply the needs of this community, Lord God, that we would continue to be able to go forward in what you have called us to do. I pray that you would bless the gift and the giver, in
3: your mighty name, amen. Hey, what's up, church? Uh, we just want to take a moment to celebrate what God is doing and that he is risen, that he is alive and moving in our community, because the church is being the church outside of the four walls. So if, um, if you made a personal decision to follow Jesus or you have any questions, we would love to hear from you. Um, as a church, we are constantly praying for you and we want to connect with you. So go ahead and if uh, you can email or text us at the link down below.
2: To launch Zoom Church for your kids. Kids ages 3 through 11 can engage with their friends and learn the Word of God through a fun online platform. Our kids' team has been working super hard to be able to teach the kids through Bible story, working on memorizing scripture, and connecting with each other through this time. Registration links have already been sent to your email. And if you're new through this online platform, can you please email pastor misty so that you can get connected as well
3: all right church you know what time it is get ready we're about to pull out our bibles go ahead and pull out your notebooks because note takers are history makers and so let's get ready for the word all right that we are able to join you in your home today. Thank you for supporting the mission here at Grace Church, especially during the season. Well, hey, today is a great day to tune in because we are kicking off a brand new sermon series and uh, before that, though, I just want to tell you that this series is going to lead us into Mother's Day. So I want to give you guys a heads up that Mother's Day is May 10th. That's three weeks from today. So go ahead and start uh, planning. I know you have a lot of time on your hands right now. Maybe you can make a craft for your mom during this time. But uh, show your mama some love. Um, so I'm giving you a heads up. I'm looking out for you. So remember our moms during this time. So in three weeks from now, we're going to be celebrating Mother's Day. And, uh, and I'm, just, I'm just letting you know. So, uh, but we are going into a new series. Today called the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of happiness. Now I thought this would be a great topic, a fun topic and a relevant topic to talk about right now during the season. In fact, I think this is always a good topic because we all want to be happy, don't we? We, we all want to experience happiness. Now I think that in, in our own way, every day we make thousands of decisions based on our happiness, what makes us happy, whether that's through standards that we want to to uh, to raise or maybe a perfect scenario that that we have in our mind see usually the idea of happy moments are when everything goes as planned where everything seems effortless where everything seems to go our way now here's the thing is i love those moments in life there's nothing better right in fact, I think when you have these moments, you need to step back and you need to rejoice and you need to be happy and you need to, re- to just enjoy it while it lasts. See, the problem isn't those moments, but the problem could happen when we look to those moments and our happiness depends on those special moments. Now, have you ever wondered what does God have to say about happiness? And is our definition of happiness the same as God's definition of happiness. Well, here's the thing: if your definition is bring in pleasure, contentment, and good fortune, then I got good news for you because that is God's definition of happiness. Believe it or not, there's some people out there that think that God is this, is this buzzkill, like that God doesn't want people to be happy, but that can be further from the truth. See, the Bible talks a lot about happiness, but it doesn't use the word happiness, it actually uses a different word. It's the word blessed. Now, I know right now there's there's some thoughts now that you're saying, okay I've seen that word a lot in the Bible. And that's true because, see, God is the originator of the blessing. He delights in seeing happiness in the lives of his people. Now, we're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to explore this topic of happiness through the lens of Scripture. But before we dive in, uh, I think we need to get our hearts ready. Because I believe that this topic right now, I believe for many people right now watching, this is going to change your heart. This is going to change your life. This is going to change your perspective on many things. And I think it's going to set you free to live the life that God intended you to live. So let's get our hearts ready. Let's pray. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity uh, to hear from your word, to receive your word. And I pray that everyone that's hearing this message, that's going to look at your words, Lord God, I pray that we would receive it with gladness, with joy. So that we can allow it to do its good work in us in jesus name amen Amen. well here here's a here's a big question for you ready for this what makes you happy what makes you happy now i know there could be a thousand thoughts with that question but i want you to take a moment and really think this through what makes you happy what makes you happy you know does it have to do with a certain amount of money is it a specific location? Does it, does, does it involve a certain person? Is it a certain scenario that you think of that you hope that will happen and you think, man, if that happens, if that comes through, then I will feel happy. Maybe it's this whole COVID-19 thing that, that you're just hoping and, and praying and we're wishing that this thing would just go away very soon. I know that we would all be happy. That would be top of all of our lists right now. That so That would make us very happy. Well, Recently, there was a survey that was studied, this concept of happiness. And this question was asked to many random people from different walks of life, different ages. And they were asked this question. They said, what are the things that you believe will bring you happiness? What are the things that, would, that you believe will bring you happiness? And I want to give you the top five results so that you can match up maybe your answer to maybe some of these. I'll start with number five. Number five is this, health. Now, I know that good health will make us happy right but here's just the problem with health see we can't control our health now we can do things to help prevent health issues but we really can't control a lot of things that happen with our health ultimately the truth is is that our bodies will break down and so we can find ourselves in conditions that we didn't expect coming number four is something that surprised me but it is religious activity Now, there's a difference between doing religious activities as an act of worship versus doing religious activity to help get rid of your guilt. And, and, And if that's what people's aim is, then it's never enough. Now, the third one doesn't surprise me at all. It's people. And this is a big one because oftentimes we put these unrealistic expectations on other people to make us happy, to keep us happy. And let me tell you, that is not a burden for anybody ever to be carrying. Number two, number two, I understand very well, something that I probably identify the most, and it is success. I mean, we love success. I, I love to feel successful. I feel satisfied when I accomplish a goal. You might be that type of person too. See, success is, is, is a good thing. We, we love to accomplish things. But the problem with using success to pursue happiness is that we understand this, is that success does not last long. As soon as you climb the pinnacle of that goal, you soon realize that there's a bigger one right behind it. And then the number one reason to the question is what do you believe will bring happiness to your life? The number one answer is money. Money. Moolah. Cheddar. Right. We all know through looking at the examples of the world that money cannot buy you happiness. Now, you can rent it for a while, but you can't buy it. Well, in all seriousness, we understand this is that if you use money to pursue happiness, we know that the Bible teaches us that we can't make it an idol because that's what happens. If you use money to pursue happiness, it becomes your idol. And Jesus told us this. He said that you can't serve God and money at the same time. Right. Later on, we see in scripture that it tells us that the love of money, not money in general, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And so when you think about these things, oftentimes when we think of what makes us happy, when we think about our happiness, a lot of times our pursuit of happiness is probably linked to one of these five things. And let me tell you, all these things, they're not terrible on their own. They're kind of neutral. It's what we do with them. And I can tell you that these things, they do bring a short-term feeling of happiness for the moment. But let me tell you, friends, they cannot be the source of your happiness. Actually, these things can become barriers in finding true happiness. So the big question this morning is how do we find this true happiness, this feeling of happiness? And how, how do we make sure that it does not go away? And is that even possible. And that's why we're going to turn to the word of God, because we're going to hear what God has to say about this subject. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians, that's where we're going to be studying in the next few weeks. Chapter one. Now, Philippians is written by a guy who experienced a good amount of each of those things on the list. You know, later though, he would testify that none of those things compared to what he received from God and what he would experience later in his life. In fact, he learned a valuable lesson. He learned that lesson by experiencing all these things being taken from him. And yet he was able to say that even in those moments, I was still able to experience happiness and true joy and fulfillment through those moments. Now, this book or this its actually a letter. We consider it a book in the Bible or an epistle. It's known as the book of encouragement, the the book of joy. Which is kind of ironic, because if you know anything about the history of this, is that it was written in a Roman prison. Now, have you ever thought of a prison being a place that produces joy and encouragement? Me neither. That's why this book is so powerful. So hopefully I've given you enough time to find Philippians chapter one. We're starting in verse one. It says this. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, if you're new to reading the Bible or new to studying the Bible, let me fill you in on this guy named Paul. Paul didn't grow up as a Christian. In fact, his job when he got older was somebody who would would take Christians and he would put them the jail or he would put them to death. And what's fascinating about this guy named Paul is that God was able to look at this guy and still use him. This guy who was hell bent on persecuting Christians is the same guy that God looked on and said, I can use him for my mission. God transformed this man from being one of the most feared persecutors of the church to becoming one of the most effective missionaries, evangelists, and pastors this world has ever known. And this this transformation began when Jesus appeared to this man and knocked him off his donkey. Some of us need to get knocked off our donkey sometimes. But Jesus tells him, he says, you're going to start working for me now. You can read this whole story in Acts chapter 9. But, but Paul did this. In fact, he started to work for Jesus from that day forward, never turning back. This Christian killer turned to a disciple maker. Let me tell you, when I read this story, when I look at the life of Paul, I mean, I'm just blown away at what God can do with somebody who's willing to be used, no matter what their background is. That tells me that no one is hopeless and no one's out of reach from God to use. Maybe somebody needs to hear that message this morning. But even though that Paul had a rough start... He eventually found great success. You know, he planted multiple churches and he converted thousands of people to Christianity. However, if you know the life of Paul, you also understand that he was no stranger to pain and suffering. You can read about the things that he had to endure in ministry. You can read them in the book of Acts. And actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it lists a bunch of things that he had to go through. It says that he was shipwrecked. That he was stranded on an island. It says that he was bitten by a poisonous snake. He was in prison several times, and he was beaten over and over again. And those are just a few things that he had to endure in his time in ministry. He had to experience all this pain, and yet in Philippians he talks about how he discovered real happiness and true joy through all circumstances. Not only that, but he made it his life mission to teach other believers how to sustain this happiness and how to keep this deep-seated joy in the most difficult of circumstances. That's Paul. So let's keep reading here. He's, He's greeting the church and he says, To God's holy people in Christ Jesus in the city of Philippi. Now, he planted this church. He says, Together with the overseers and the deacons, Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul always starts off his letters with a blessing over the church. I love that. Verse three says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy, with joy. And that's actually like the beginning of his whole letter. And he's bringing it to the to the forefront, this topic of joy. So if you have your Bibles and if you have a, a paper Bible, you can go ahead and underline that word joy because that's going to be our focus for today. What is joy and how do I get it? Well, there's a couple of facts that you have to understand about joy. Number one is that joy goes beyond happiness. Here's another thing is that joy is not based on external circumstances, meaning what happens to us, the things that we can't control. But also what we have to know is that, is that joy is not based on internal circumstances, what's happening in us. Because if joy had to do with what was happening in us, it wouldn't last long. Why? Because we're complex creatures, right? We run, run through emotions very quickly. So if real joy is not, is not based on things on the outside, external things, and if it's not based on things on the inside, internal things, then it has to be based on something bigger and greater, and that's eternity. So joy is an eternal thing. So the source of our joy Is not coming from outside sources outwardly. And it's not coming from an inward thing that we're trying to build up and create on our own. No, it is upward from above. Joy begins with having peace with God begins with having peace with God. Joy begins with receiving the forgiveness of our sins and receiving salvation. I mean, some of you who know this joy, you can think back and remember that first day where you surrendered your life to Jesus and he created you a new heart. I mean, that was great. I mean, I, I, I grew up uh, singing a song that says I was, net front, I was lost and now I'm found. Some of you guys know the joy of that moment of feeling lost and then feeling the sense of being found by Christ. Those are our wonderful times. And the Bible even says that the joy of our salvation, David even asked the Lord, it says, restore in me the joy of my salvation. Do you remember that joy? That's where joy begins. Nehemiah tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Why? Because it gives us power, it gives us energy, and it gives us zeal for life. So true joy for your soul can only come from above. And I think for many of us who we know this joy, we, we've experienced it. We somehow, maybe through time, maybe through circumstances, we may have lost a bit of it. And we understand if we're really honest with ourselves this morning, maybe we've lost a bit of it. Maybe we know that it's affecting the rest of our lives and other parts of our lives and other relationships. Because when we lack joy, we become unhappy. And, and it starts to affect us in everything we do and everything we say. And so what I love about this book is that it actually helps us with this issue. Here's the truth, is that there will be people. We have to guard this joy. We have to maintain this joy because there will be people and there will be circumstances that will try to rob us of this joy. So we have to learn how to guard it, how to keep it, and how to maintain it. See, joy is not something that we create. It's something that we receive through our relationship with God through His Holy Spirit. And Paul addresses that. So so scroll down to to verse 12, because Paul, in this next few verses, he gives us uh, um, some instructions. He gives us some information on how to hold on to this God-given joy. Number one is this. We need an eternal perspective to live from. See, joyful people, they always have a larger perspective. See, having a narrow perspective steals your joy. Because all you see is what's right in front of you. And, and Paul challenges all that we need to zoom out to see the bigger picture. This is what he says, verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Somehow, Paul had this ability to zoom out past his pain and get a heavenly perspective. Now, I mentioned earlier that this letter was written from a Roman prison. A Roman prison, you might wonder, like, okay, uh, why are you saying it that way? Well, because the location matters. See, if you know anything about Paul, then you know that, that he always desired to go to Rome. I mean, he knew that Rome at the time was the center of the known world. He knew the influence of Rome. He knew the prestige of Rome. He knew, he knew what Rome was about, and he thought that if I can get to Rome, And if I can bring the gospel there, if I can plant a church there, he says that the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. I mean, Paul had that burning desire. He wanted to go to Rome. I'm sure he had moments where he imagined himself on the streets of Rome preaching. I'm sure he imagined himself in the middle of the Colosseum with the crowds and preaching the gospel of Jesus. And so he desired to go to Rome. And he finally gets to Rome. But it's not the way he thought. He arrives in Rome in chains. I'm sure he looked out that prison window and he probably wondered in his mind. He goes, man, how can I be so close yet feel so far away? I'm sure he struggled. He was a human just like us. I'm sure he struggled with what was happening to him and the circumstances he was in. I'm sure he had every reason to be mad and discouraged because of what was happening. He had every reason to be bitter and to be unhappy. I mean, we wouldn't blame him, right? But he doesn't have that attitude at all. Far from it. Why? Because he chose to have a different perspective on what was going on. He had an eternal perspective. He says this, he says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. See, he saw God's perspective. He saw God's perspective as being something bigger and greater than his own. See, somehow Paul was able to tap into God's perspective. See, God's perspective always sees a lot farther than our own. See, here's the thing. It was while Paul was in prison, while he was feeling restricted and restrained, he wrote 13 of 27 books of the New Testament. I want to ask you, what do you think is better? To go out and to preach in the streets and maybe influence a couple thousand people or to be used as a person that God used to write most of the Bible who could influence a hundred millions? Tons of people through thousands of years. And that was Paul. Paul had this perspective where he thought, he goes, I may be stuck here, but God still can and still wants to use me. See, that's what it looks like, friends, to have a perspective the way God sees things, to have an eternal perspective. Grace Church, I want to tell you that having this building closed for this season and having to do online services, like I want to be honest with you, it really bummed me out the first couple of weeks because I missed you. I missed I miss gathering together. I mean, I was bummed. I I was sitting down and I was having a pity party. But then I realized what God was doing in the midst of all this, that yeah. He was doing something greater. That's do you know, Grace Church, great. that last week we had the biggest service we ever had, so probably the biggest history in the history, our biggest service in the history of this church was had last week on Easter Sunday, where we had thousands of views of our service. I mean, let me tell you that God can do immeasurably more than what we can ask and we can think. There may be some things that you're walking in your life right now that you feel like, man, it didn't turn out the way I hoped. It didn't turn out the way that I expected. But you have to trust the God that you serve because the God you serve has an eternal perspective. And the Bible tells us that God, we can be sure of this, that every detail of our life, God is using it to work something good for his purposes. And my job isn't to try to figure out what that is. It's to trust him in the moment because he's the one who has it in his hands. Yeah. Yeah. Paul goes on to say this. He says, he says, because I have this eternal perspective on my pain, I am able to do two things. And he talks about these two things. Number one is this, reach unbelievers, reach unbelievers. Believers, if you're you're listening, if you're a Christ follower, listen to this really closely. See, when you have an eternal perspective of your pain, you have the supernatural ability to battle that season through strength and joy. There's many people, I hope you understand that there are many people watching your life. They're watching how you're handling the news, good or bad. And they're wanting to see if your faith is real. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be fake about your pain because pain is real. And it's important to acknowledge it. It's important for us not to avoid it, but we need to allow God in it. We need to allow God to comfort us and to receive the source of joy so that we can get through it. Again, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. See, when we have an eternal perspective, an eternal hope, if you're able to have joy that gives us strength in all things and for our things, then that tells us that our joy can give other people hope. And I think that's awesome. I think that's great. And and, and Paul, he gives us a testimony here. He doesn't just say it, but he backs it up. That's what I love about Paul. Paul's backing it up right here in verse 13. He says this. He says, out of this, out of seeing this perspective, zooming out and understanding that God is still at work, even if I don't know it and I don't see it and I don't feel it, I believe that God is still at work and God is still doing great things. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. I want to tell you how big this is because from prison, he was affecting the palace. I think that's pretty amazing that no matter how low you feel, God can still do greater things above and beyond you could ever think of. And he says to everyone else, I am in chains for Christ. In other words, he's saying, he's saying they all know why I'm here. They've all heard the message. And basically what he's saying is that everywhere I go, everybody I meet, I'm telling them about Jesus. Now, this is a big deal. Because if you know anything about the history of what it was like to be in prison during the time of Paul, you have to understand this. This is how the Romans did it. See, he was on lockdown for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, being chained to one guard. That's pretty hard. Some of us feel like we're suffering right now, being locked in our homes. Imagine being chained to a Roman soldier. And what happened is that every four hours, they would change the guard. So at the very least, Paul was influencing hundreds of guards. At most, he was influencing 4,000 guards in a two-year span while he was in this Roman prison. And every day, Paul was writing these letters, these amazing letters that we use as canon to our scripture that we we look to and we get uh, uh, amazing things from as we read God's word. He was writing these letters and these guards were looking over his shoulder. And I'm sure he was a verbal processor. I'm sure he was talking out loud, reading these letters out loud, reading the word of God out loud. You can't tell me that that was not impacting and influencing all these people and changing their lives. In fact, we know this at the end of his letter, we learned that some of Nero's family, And most of Nero's staff was converted to Christianity because of Paul. Paul says that when you battle your pain in your life with God-given joy, it reaches people that seem far from God. That's a reason to rejoice in your suffering and look past your pain. The second result is this, is that we have the ability to encourage and equip those who work for the Lord. This is what he says in verse 14. He says, and because of my chains... Because most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I want you to know today, friends, that your faithfulness has the power to increase other people's faith. Have you ever thought that maybe God can use that? I mean, sometimes we try to avoid those moments in those areas of our life. We just want to move right past them. But you just got to know that that's treasure to God because God can turn that into gold. He can turn that into something good and he can turn your influence and your position. God can use that to build his church. That's what it means to have an eternal perspective on your problems. See, it's amazing what God can do and how much joy you could receive when you know that everything in your life is worship to him. And what he does with that is that he can go beyond what we can do. You might think to yourself, well, you know, I'm not a I'm not a leader in the church. I'm not a pastor. This doesn't apply to me. Friends, I want to tell you that if you're living and you're breathing right now, you are influencing somebody. You are leading somebody in your life. And a lot of times it's the little ones that are around you right now. You're leading their life, and you're either leading them to Jesus or you're leading them away from Jesus. So the big takeaway is this, is how do I keep this joy through all circumstances? This is what we have to remember. Look at every problem from God's viewpoint. Now, this isn't easy. This doesn't always come natural. So what we have to do in these moments where we don't feel like it's coming natural, that our minds don't seem like they're in that space, we need to pray. That's the gift of prayer. And we need to pray. And we need to ask God and we say, God, help me to look beyond this. I I, I always want to pray. And I pray often this prayer. I say, God, help me see things the way you see them. And I'm telling you, that kind of prayer, I believe that gets God excited. I, I believe that's the kind of prayer that God has been waiting for, to hear from our lips, from our heart. And then he comes in and he shows us and he opens our eyes and he gives us a higher vantage point to see things in a new way and fresh way. And let me tell you, that's something they get excited about. So we have to understand to have an eternal perspective to live from, but we also need eternal priorities to live by. See, when life gets tough, it's important for us to know what our priorities are. See, either you can live life and have it revolve around your problems, or you can have it revolve around your priorities. Those are your only two options. Those are only two options that we have. In other words, you can be consumed by your problems or you can be dedicated and committed to your priorities. See, when we run into something that's difficult, let me tell you, the first thing that's going to be challenged is our priority. The problem becomes the problem. You know, we have this problem and it becomes everything we see. It becomes everything we think about. But we have to understand that in those times it gets overwhelming and that will rob us of our joy. And when the latter happens, we let other people determine what's important to us. And if you don't know what's important to you, then you give these people the ability to decide what you live for and what you stand for. Mm -hmm, And that could rob you of your joy. You know, in the next section... Paul gives us a list of three types of people, or I would say three voices. Now, next week, I'm going to talk more about the internal voices. But today I'm going to talk about the external voices. Okay? so these are some people or voices that can influence your joy. And he gives us one good one and two to watch out for. The first one is the critics, the critics. Verse 15, he says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Here's what he's talking about. He's talking about these critics. They're the people that will tear you down. It's the voice that will tear you down. It's the voice that loves to go against you. It's the voice that loves to argue and to be right all the time. Come on, some of us know that voice. Sometimes we can't run from that voice. But Paul says, watch out for these people because they will will determine how you respond, they will determine what you think about. They will determine your attitude. Have you ever been there before where you've allowed a critic to get you down? You've allowed a critic to, to knock you off of God's plan for you? Come on, we got to drown out the critics. How do we do that? Well, the next one is a good one. He gives us a good example. These are the people we need in our corner. They're the companions. Verse 16, he says, The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. These are the good guys. We all need some good companions. And here's a here's here's companion. Here's my definition. It's people that are going the same direction that you are. And I hope that that direction is following Jesus. And when, you, when their priorities and your priorities line up and that's the main priority and that's following Jesus, honoring Jesus, then I'm telling you, they will be your biggest cheerleader. They will be your biggest encourager and they will help you get through the tough moments of your life. They will s- spur you on. We all need some good companions in our life. And then he gives us another warning about some other, this other group, this other voice, and those are the competitors. He says this, he says, 17, he says, the former preach out of selfish ambition, not sincerity, supposing that, uh, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. These people were competing against Paul. These are people who have an ego that's driven by selfish motives. They will tear you down to build themselves up. And the sad part is that most of the time, they don't even know they're doing this. They're just so consumed with themselves. But Paul says, you got to watch out for these people. You got to watch out for that voice because you can get so easily sucked in to the competition. And let me tell you, being in competition with somebody will only distract you from the mission that God's called you in. And that will rob you of your joy. And let me tell you, this is something i got to battle all the time because I'm a sucker for competition. You know what I mean? When somebody wants to, wants to, wants to compete, man, I'm ready to dive in. But then I get off track wow. because I start to compare. And that comparison starts to rob me of my joy. Yeah. And I feel like I'm not enough. And I feel like i got to keep up. And it's exhausting. Yeah. So i got to let go of that voice. i got to stop looking at that. And i got to keep my focus straight ahead on yeah. the priority that God set for yeah. me. Yeah. So how do I do this? What is the key here? What do we got to learn? Well, we have to learn how to have the right attitude. And what I love about this letter is that Paul gives us the answers. He shows us, he models it for us of what is the right attitude against the critics or the critical voice or the competitor. He says this, he says, but what does it matter? The important thing. In other words, he's saying my greatest priority is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. That was his priority. And because of this, I can rejoice. I have joy. See, the most important priority in Paul's life was so that Jesus could be known. He says, because of that, I could, I could rejoice. I can carry joy I love another translation that says, I am happy and will continue to be happy because Jesus Christ is preached. Mm. How does this work? What does he mean? Because see, Paul knew that only Jesus, he's the only one that can change a person's heart. And because of that, we can't worry about what people think. We can't worry about what people say. Only Jesus can change their heart. I just need to be faithful with keeping the right perspective and holding on to the right priorities. He says, because of that, I can have true happiness and I can experience true joy. I can focus on the things that matter and I don't have to let other people determine how I feel or what I say. He says, no matter what happens in life, no matter what I have to go through, he goes, I could still be happy. I could still rejoice because my happiness is not based on outward circumstances, nor is it based on inward feelings, but it's based on upward truth. What's the truth? That God is in me. That God is for me. And I don't know about you, but that's enough reason to rejoice. That's why I can still hold on to joy because I know that Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, is in me, that he is with me, and that he is for me. Now, I know this is easier said than done. I, I, I know. I've heard messages like this, and I've been on the other end, and I'm being like, man, I wish I could. And I want to tell you that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. Yeah. And it, it, it's not going to be a switch that just flips. It's going to be a practice that you do daily. It, it's got to be you spending time with God daily. But first, you have to recognize this. You have to ask yourself this, this morning. You have to say, do I have an eternal perspective that I live from? Do I see things bigger? And maybe that's where you start. You need to ask the Lord, say, God, help me to see something bigger. And then you need to ask yourself, do I have any eternal priorities that I live by? See, walking in joy is going to take intentionality. It's going to take you spending time with Jesus daily, learning his word. You can't have this eternal perspective and have eternal priorities if you're not willing to know the Bible and know what they are and know his heart. You know, last week we had Easter Sunday and we had a message about hope, everlasting hope. We know that life is more than just the here and now, that there's something greater and bigger going on. And we get to be part of it. And we know this is that when we fully put our lives in the hands of Jesus, if we truly trust him with all of our heart, that is the beginning of understanding what his priorities are and being able to see the world with his perspective. And that will change your life. That, my friends, is what's changing the world for the good. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to continue to unpack this idea and what the Bible says about true joy. But until then, I want you to take a moment before we we move any further, before we go beyond this, we need to take a moment to just allow the Lord to work in our hearts. And we need to ask the Lord, say, God, is my perspective wrong? Are my priorities need to be rearranged? And this is the time to do it. So I don't know what you're doing right now. If you're, you're getting a little distracted, I want to just zero in on the next 30 seconds. And I want you to take a deep breath. And I want you to think about it. What am I pursuing? When I think of my life right now and my feelings and my mental state, am I happy Am I experiencing joy? And I know there's a lot of reasons that we can complain and we can, we can look down and say, man, this, this is not the best situation. This is hard. And we get it. God knows. But also in the midst of that, we could find joy. The Bible says joy unspeakable. It's going to just come out of your life, not just out of your mouth, but out of your life. How you walk, how you talk, how you love, how you lead. I mean, it's going to affect every part of you. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants to do. So if you're willing to do that today, if you're willing to do that in this moment, I want you to take a moment. I want to pray for you, my friends. And maybe for some of you, you haven't even started this journey. It needs to start. Remember, joy starts with salvation. Joy starts with having a clean heart. And if that's you today, just make that declaration. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I, I, I want to live for you. I want to experience this new life in you. Watch joy begin to be birthed. So if that's you, I want to pray for you. But I also want to pray for the rest of us that, that may feel like maybe joy has been depleted and God wants to fill you back up with that joy. All of us need it, especially right now. Yeah. The world needs it. They need to see something greater, something that could fulfill them and satisfy them that's everlasting. So we're going to pray right now. Father, I lift up my friends to you right now that, that they're watching God and they're stirring their hearts with, with, with your truth, God, and they want to reach out right now. So God, as they reach out from their hearts, they confess in their mouth, Lord God, that you are Lord. And they're at declaring right now, God, they're saying, God, make me new. I surrender my life to you, God. You know exactly who they are. You're doing it right now, God. You're working through their hearts. I thank you for this opportunity that they could hear today's message. And for the rest of us today, God, that those that feel a little bit heavy-hearted today, that we're seeing that we're lacking that joy, that excitement, that zeal for life, even in the midst of this, God, we could still obtain that and maintain that and receive that. I pray right now, God, through your Holy Spirit, that you fill them up with that joy. Remind them, Lord, restore that joy of their salvation, the joy of being in a relationship with you being able to refill their hearts with more of you in their lives. We love you, God. We thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for allowing us to come into your home today and spending the time with us. We love you. Uh, we look forward to, to next week. And like I said, man, remember your mama, okay? You got three weeks, so uh, do something good for her. I'm sure she's doing a lot right now. Um, and so we love you. God bless you, and we'll see you next week
2: message from Pastor Omar today. Thank you for joining us. We want to make sure that you know how to connect with us during this season of social distancing. Join us on Facebook and Instagram to get plugged into our Zoom groups. We have groups for men, women, and students. Check out these links to get connected. We love you and we're praying for you. And we are so thankful to share our Sunday mornings with you. See you next week.